don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, I feel like <laughs> a real dad right now, but welcome to the React Native Nerds podcast. I'm Spencer. And I'm John. Join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer. Welcome to episode number six. I'm Jonathan Wheaton. Joining me is Spencer Carley. Hey, man. How you been? I'm excellent. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Super busy, but pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a good thing, especially after a few months of quarantine and kind of being unsure of um, what the hell to do with all of this time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a whole lot of time to sit around. Yeah. Uh, you know, things have, for me, have stayed pretty static. You know, just instead of going into the office, I'm sitting here in an office in a spare bedroom. Right. And doing my normal work. Like, life hasn't really stopped for me. Okay. I never I never really traveled or hung out with a whole bunch of people, you know, when this wasn't happening. So, mm-hmm. yeah, stuff really hasn't changed a whole lot for me. Although That's I have good. been watching a lot of Netflix and <laughs> Apple TV and Hulu in the evenings. All right. Yep. So we had some big news this week with iOS 14 coming out. And there's a whole bunch of neat new features in here. And we're just going to quickly blow down through some of these. And I will mention some of these that uh, you as developers need to keep your eye out for because we will need to develop and change our apps and our app store information, that sort of stuff. So first off is the app library, and this automatically organizes your apps. And I don't know how I feel about this because <laughs> I sort of have my screens set up the way I like them. And okay. I am one of those odd, odd, odd people that don't use groups. So I don't group my apps together or anything like that. With one caveat, I do have one I named Dust because they're apps that I rarely, rarely use. Okay. And I just throw those over. But I organize everything by screens. So I slide, you know, I have all my everyday stuff on my home screen. I have a bunch of work stuff on the second screen. I slide over. I have a bunch of social media stuff slide over. So I organize it by screens. Hmm. Um, do you use groups? So I've also got a non-typical means of organizing my phone. I have every app in one folder and I have that folder on the second screen. And basically to find anything, I just search for an app um, rather than trying to remember. Fascinating. I, I search a lot also. I do that too, but that's yeah. really interesting. So you you open up your phone and you see nothing. Do you have anything down at the bottom? Exactly, yeah. It's just, it's this wonderful picture of the galaxy and that's all I see. And then at the bottom, I have like my most used app. So I actually have in that, I don't know what it's called, in that bottom section where you've got the four apps. I've got the folder that has... Who knows how many apps uh, I've got notion Safari and messages, which are kind of like my, that covers 90% of what I'm using my phone for. And then I've just got, I search for everything else. Nice. I like that. I usually search for maps because I can never find it. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I know exactly <laughs> what screen it's on. I know what the icon looks like, but it's just faster. Yeah, actually that another thing with searching, I use Siri suggestions for apps it's always got those four apps at the top and like mm-hmm. it's dynamic. It always typically I have the app I need up there in those top four, just cause like, you know, I take a nap at 2 PM every day. So it knows to show me the clock so I can set an alarm, all that stuff. It's just, it just, my phone, it, it organized my life for me. So I had something freaky happen. I smoke meat and I have <laughs> a note with all of my meat recipes and you know, my rubs and all that sort of stuff. And it's just in one big long note. Um, I was out smoking on a Saturday. It was a couple weeks ago. 
And I had never in my life ever gotten a Siri suggestion for an app before. You know, I'll get, if I'm traveling somewhere and it knows I go there a lot, you know, I'll get those sorts of things. Google will surface that. But there was a Siri suggestion for my smoking notes. And that's what I called it. I don't know how it knew. <laughs> like I had literally just shut the door on it and I pulled my phone out to play some music because I was going to do something in the garage. I looked down and it's sitting there. And I was huh. like, whoa. So I don't know if it was it's just listening. a repeated sort of Saturday thing. You know, maybe it was two Saturdays in a row. I don't know what it did. I don't know how it learns that stuff. But it totally freaked me out. Yeah. I was like looking around. How do you know? Are you looking in the camera to see that I was just in my smoker or what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you, you talk about something or even just think about it and then boom, there's an ad for it. It just makes you question everything. Next up, we have widgets. And uh, this is something that you're going to have to look out for as a developer, because I imagine we're going to have to build something for this. And essentially, mm -hmm. it is what you expect it to be. It's a small snippet of your app, and it services statistics or information about your app. And you can actually place these now on the home screen. So that's kind of cool. So if you think weather, a weather app, you can drop that on news, stocks, you know, those sorts of things. Maybe Reddit would have one and it would surface anybody that, you know, any subreddits that you're following, you know, those sorts of things. Instead of continually popping up notifications for those apps, I'm guessing that information would be accessible through these widgets. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. I'm interested to see how React Native deals with that. After that, we have picture in picture. So the easiest thing, if you're not watching this, we do have a link in the show notes to a, a quick four minute overview of iOS 14. But think about the YouTube app, and when you're watching a video, you can swipe it down, and it sort of goes down into the corner. And uh, that's what this does. So if you're watching something, um, you can swipe it down. And what's really cool is you can uh, exit that app and flip through your screens on your phone. You can open up another app, and it will continue to hover over everything. So you can watch Netflix while you're messaging your friends. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one because um, I know like one of YouTube Premium's thing is being able to play a video in the background. So I wonder how that'll all work out between YouTube You're Premium right. or whatever it's called and getting this picture-in-picture -picture thing. Hopefully, oh, yeah, picture-in-picture -picture wins out over having to go YouTube Premium because I've continued to not subscribe to that. Yeah, well, I could see YouTube freezing the video in picture-in-picture -picture mode or something and saying you need to upgrade to premium to watch mm. this. You know, yeah, that'll in this be an interesting like, policy thing uh, yeah. with Apple. See how that all Oh, yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but you're absolutely right. There's uh, some new Siri enhancements, and uh, those can bubble up. So instead of Siri just displaying a black screen with text with links off to Safari and other resources and things, um, she can now bubble these widgets up. So, for example, if you ask about the weather, she can bubble the um, the weather widget up onto the screen and op also open up Safari, take you straight to those web pages. So those are kind of neat. Apple has a new Translate app, and this is pretty fascinating. It's um, interactive translation, so you can speak into it, and it will translate and speak back to you. Um, there's an interesting conversation mode. And I didn't quite get that. I don't know. You turn your phone sideways and can you converse with someone? So I'm speaking into my phone in English and they are replying in Swahili. Although I don't know that Swahili was one of the supported languages. <laughs> I think there's only maybe 14 or 15 of those 
okay. languages supported or something. So anyway, just keep an eye out on that. That's pretty interesting. Messages are pretty interesting. They have a brand new design and you can pin messages now, which is kind of neat. And then group conversations, you can do inline replies. So that's pretty cool. So it isn't, you know, if you jump into a conversation late, you don't have to uh, sort of try to reference whatever part you were uh, talking about. You can just scroll up and reply right in line. And I'm not sure how that notifies people if uh, that inline reply has scrolled off of the screen. I'm not sure how that happens. But they also have mentions, which is kind of neat. So I guess you can mute a conversation unless you're specifically mentioned. And uh, they do the normal type the name thing. And like the, the group conversation should know the parties involved. So maybe it's just a name. Maybe right. it's a first name. I think I just saw a first name in the video. Well, go watch the video. It's a cliffhanger. You'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of cool. And then if you are mentioned, you will get a push notification alert type thing on the screen to let you know that you need to go take a look at that. Maps is interesting. I guess there's a huge bicycling contingent that has pushed for uh, some functionality in here. So they have a dedicated cycling button now, and that will actually map out bike routes. It'll take into consideration elevations so you know, you know what sort of bike ride you're in for. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Okay. And, nice. you know, because they've had, they have walking and driving and jogging. Do they have jogging? Do they have running in there? I don't remember I what these that, do. I don't, just, I use a different app. I think right, it's just walking. I Maps. Yeah. So anyway, look for that, that functionality. That'll be interesting to play with if you're trying to implement maps. Mm. Next up is app clips. These are really interesting. This is also, this is something that uh, you'll need to pay attention to. And it's basically a flip up panel from the bottom. So you can walk up to something that looks like a QR code, but of course Apple can't use QR codes. So they made this round thing they're calling an app clip code. I imagine the way they held it, it didn't look like it was using the camera, but I'm guessing it's using a camera and it's encoded or there's a, um, a chip behind the code and your phone can detect that. And basically it slides this panel up and runs a smaller portion or a clip of your app. So you don't necessarily need to have the entire app installed. It'll be interesting to see how this actually gets used. They used it in in sort yeah. of a, an e-commerce way, and by e-commerce I mean you just paid by your phone. You walked up, and you know he he showed it this code, and it slid up. You could purchase whatever it was using Apple Pay. So it'll be interesting to see how people actually use this. You know, some people mm -hmm. totally ruined QR codes the way they were using those, and some people <laughs> nailed it and got it right. So this will be really interesting. I can't wait to see who really fails on, on these app clip codes versus uh, really succeeding. Yeah, this would be an interesting challenge. Just will this even be possible from a React Native standpoint to build an app clip or will we have to go totally native? So it'll be interesting because I know Android has like instant apps or whatever it is, which is very similar to this. I haven't really seen anything on that. So be excited to see it kind of going mainstream with iOS. Is it possible in React Native? Yeah. And then lastly, um, what we're going to talk about is your app privacy information, and we will need to do this. The App Store is extending the information collected about privacy and security, and you'll have to submit all this stuff, all this information to the App Store when you submit your app. Um, okay. So everybody out there that did the exact same thing as me and Googled free privacy policy and did a search and replace 
or you just downloaded a generic <laughs> one and posted it as static HTML on your website and you use that every single time you submit an app, we got some work to do. <laughs> so, and I think that's probably everybody listening to me unless you're a really big corporation that has lawyers involved. Right. And uh, for me, we're gonna get into this a little later, but um, it'll be interesting to see how Fastlane deals with this because you can set up Fastlane to push all that information to the App Store. Mm. So that right. sums up iOS 14. Did you have anything else to add about that? Are you going to download the beta when it comes out? No, I, I'm I'm too scared to download the beta. <laughs> Same. I, I gotta I gotta use my phone day to day and like I I just now updated to uh, Mac OS Catalina like last. Oh, that's week great. And that's great. The new Mac OS was just announced, so I I am a slow to adapt individual. Yeah, I am too. But that's that's typically because I'm in the throes of developing for clients at the time. So the last thing I want to do is change my Xcode and supporting libraries and all that BS and, or change the OS that's actually running. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to either unless I, I pick up an old phone somewhere that will run it, which is probably basically mm -hmm. an 11 in mobile news, which is really interesting. And, and I won't take up a whole lot of time here, but Snapchat is really pushing the boundaries with AR and their camera can now identify dog breeds and plant species, which sounds kind of goofy. Um, yeah. But when I was reading this, did you know it could do math problems? It's been able to do that, do that for a while. I had no idea. I did not either. No wonder all these kids like Snapchat because they're freaking cheating on their right, homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they had uh, their Snap Partner Summit, and they are all in on AR and trying to pull in more partners to continue to expand the capabilities of their app. And uh, we have a link to this article in the show notes if you want to take a look at that. Uh, real quick, I've I discovered recently um, Expo Web. So if you're using Expo, we, last week we talked about React Native Windows and how you could build React Native apps and deploy it to Windows 10, etc. Uh, but you can also build it and push it to the web, which I guess I knew in the back of my mind because you can build snacks. You can run those on the, in the web interface. Expo is continuing to do work and they're charging forward to a V1 of Expo web. And basically what you do is you just do Expo start like you normally do and there's a W option and it'll kick off Webpack and spin up your browser and you can use your app on the web, which is actually really cool because if I ever get back into the conference industry, um, right now I'm sort of building a web app to do and perform all of the functionality of my mobile app for the people that don't have smartphones. I know, crazy. Uh, but there are there are a couple of people holdouts in the tech industry that still have flip phones. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, so they, they walk around with a laptop, they jump on the conference wireless and they go over to this session browser type thing and they can dig through, build their session and do all that sort of stuff. So uh, this, this is actually interesting to me um, if I ever get back into that. I've slightly been following Expo Web, and it's been an interesting thing because in a lot of my more basic courses, I use Expo because it's an easy way to get up and running with React Native. But I've never tried to support Expo Web, but I'm seeing a lot more people trying to go through my course, a React Native for mobile development course, but trying to run it on the web instead and... Basically, I haven't done whatever I need to to support that. So I'm seeing this more and more coming up with issues being filed that the project doesn't work or so on and so forth. Mm. And it's just people trying to run it on web. So it's it's getting pretty popular. A lot of people are starting to try it out. Yeah, I mean, that lets anybody basically develop mobile 
on anything, you know, Windows, you know, Mac, Linux, whatever, and you don't need a device. That's kind of cool. I mean, you don't need to do all that set extra setup, I imagine, you know, right. that you normally would to get Xcode and Android Studio and the emulators all set up. And for some reason, man, getting an, an Android emulator working is like black magic. I don't, I don't know. Once you do it, you don't want to ever touch it. <laughs> it's just, I don't, maybe it's just me, but right. I've just always had problems. Yeah, so that's something to uh, to watch out for. There's this really cool thing called Recycler List View. This is a pl replacement for List View, and what they do, it's super high performance. So they use cell recycling to reuse views that are no longer visible, and they render the items instead of creating new objects. So basically, instead of creating another list underneath and scrolling up to do the sort of that infinite scroll type thing, they're recycling all of this and it is crazy fast. It's super flexible mm. and really, really amazing. And I don't know why I just found it now. For real, <laughs> it is really cool. I'm totally using this in my next app for sure. It supports TypeScript if you're into that. Um, there's a bunch of different features. We have a link over to uh, the GitHub repo. There's a bunch of demos that you can check out and um, very, very cool. Highly suggest uh, at least checking that out if not using that. Nice. Last up is React Native Scroll Bottom Sheet. This is another another repo I found on uh, Reddit, and essentially it's well, it's basically the um, app clip functionality that we were just talking about. You can slide a little panel up from the bottom. I rolled my own in my app when I did this, and it is not nearly as nice or robust <laughs> as this, and, and it's really sweet. Integrates with flat list, scroll view, and section list. It's 100% compatible with Expo, you know. So uh, you want to probably check that out too. So if you you connect those two together, the recycler list view and the React Native scroll bottom sheet, man, you're going to have a pretty cool functional app. And so onto our main topic. Now that the news is out of the way, uh, this week we're talking about our developments and our workflow. I know there's some things that Spencer does that I have uh, stolen. And um, I'm pretty sure that we diverge, you know, as our workflow goes. So uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, sort of what you do, your environment and your setup and how you build. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like, this is one of those things like it's just, I'd say like 50% of my comments are, oh, what theme is that? What font is that on YouTube tutorial or whatever? And like, I totally understand. In the tech world, I'm kind of like indifferent. I'm just going to choose something and I'll stick with it until it's, you know, no one else is using it. Um, I'm pretty slow to change, but man, like in like everyday carry stuff or like, you know, I'm really into cars and trucks, how people set up the equipment they have in their, their vehicle. I love watching that stuff. So like, I totally understand the the kind of kit interest people have in a development environment. So with that, the way I've kind of got things broken down is what's a text editor. I mean, if we're writing code, this is where we're spending a lot of our time. And this is where I've spent the most time investing into learning it and customizing it and as i'd say like 80 percent of people in our industry use i use visual studio code uh, as my text editor of choice slash ide because it does get into that realm a little bit with that i think the best theme out there is night owl by sarah drasner hope i'm saying her name correctly it's like this it's just it's an incredible theme uh, it's super easy to write and read um, it's got a dark theme and a light theme and something that I really like from an education perspective is it uses 
someone who understands accessibility and like the, the colors are set up in a way where it is accessible so there's enough contrast between things which is great for teaching but it also makes using this theme a lot less fatiguing over time because it's it's nice on the eyes and it's a very nice color palette to do that so I'm a super super big fan of Night Owl and I think that was kind of the reason I actually jumped from uh, Adam to Visual Studio Code however many years ago. Kind of customizing VS Code into more of the IDE world just from a text editor. Uh, something I do whenever I'm working with any new language is because Visual Studio Code is so popular I always add some package for language support for that. So whether you're using JSX, um, obviously the basics are kind of like built in there, JavaScript, C++, all that stuff. That's all built-in language support with VS Code, but then you can add on additional language support for whatever you're using. So if you're using JSX, which is slightly different than JavaScript, it's got support for that. There's also GraphQL, Vue, I've used Svelte, all those things. You've got language support for that, so you've got syntax highlighting, which just makes everything nicer and easier to read. I'm also big on IntelliSense, which is kind of the autocomplete visual, visual Studio Code has built into it. And if you've ever watched any of my tutorials or watching me just kind of code, um, I get a lot of just automatic pop-ups. And that's because of those IntelliSense packages that I'm adding in there. So you've got one for NPM. I've added one for Tailwind CSS so that it knows all the class names that Tailwind exports. So I just need to say BG and then it'll autocomplete to BG blue or BG white or whatever I'm looking for. It'll go ahead and autocomplete that. And then the final thing, and this is where my personal customization comes in, is the usage of snippets within Visual Studio Code. So I write 98% React and React Native. So I'm writing a lot of the same stuff, like import React from React. I've got a snippet to set that up to. I just type IMR, and then it autocompletes it to import React from React. Or I type in IMRN, it autocompletes to importing got the curly braces and then from react native and I can just import whatever I need so those are kind of those snippets I've got set up to customize that experience for what I'm using Visual Studio for what about text editor for you what's that realm look like oh I'm totally on board with VS code baby yeah um, I use the dark plus theme which is just a, I think it's just default in there and I've played around with themes and themes are really interesting I'll I'll keep one until I get bored with it then I'll change. And um, so I know I've rotated around. I did use um, Sarah Drasner's Night Owl for a while. Um, I played around with, um, oh man, I've just tried everything. And then I'll go in and dink around with the fonts for like an hour, <laughs> you know, downloading all these fonts. My font directory okay. is freaking huge. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll watch a video. I'll be like, oh, cool. What <laughs> font is that? And then I'll go read the comments. And sure enough, somebody asked. And then I'll go download it or somebody will mention something. You know, I'll pull that in. Okay. So yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, that's. It. And yeah, I also use um, the language support for whatever. So it's really interesting. I don't know how my brain works. So I also do PHP development. I use PHP Storm for that because that is inherently a PHP IDE. However, I use the light theme there. I use dark theme in VS Code, and I do all of my React Native programming in VS Code. So it's really interesting how my brain can segregate those. And I'm really not a dark theme kind of guy. I mean, I don't use it anywhere else. VS Code is mm -hmm. the only place where I use it. And I don't know why. I don't know if the first time I installed VS Code, it was dark. 
And so in my brain, it was just, this is how this is and I like it, but I've actually changed to light themes in VS Code and I don't like them. So my brain is messed inside, totally, totally messed. Uh, but so in my mind, I guess that's how I segregate some, some languages. I use snippets a little bit. I haven't really jumped on board with that, uh, but you know, I know they're pretty powerful. I've seen you, you know, just type, okay. type a few little letters and you know, expand out a giant component or whatever, uh, but I just haven't done enough really to uh to make that i guess embed in my brain so i remember you know all those little shortcut letters and things um i do have intellisense right. installed for uh whatever i'm using as well uh yeah i was just gonna say it's interesting your comment on dark theme versus light theme because vs code is also the only place i use a dark theme. everything <laughs> else awesome. i do is light theme i've tried switching uh like mac os to dark theme and like i can't i can't do it Everything else, every other place I write, whatever I do, it's a light theme except for VS Code. And it's the same thing. I tried switching to a light theme and I, I didn't like it and I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Mac OS, when I tried that, there's always that one or two little things that don't look right. And since it was built as a light theme, I mean, like dark theme stuff wasn't a thought when all of this, when the OS was built. So I think there's always it just doesn't look right i don't know there's just something off but that that's really funny that you do the same thing <laughs> are you left-handed nope oh, okay i thought maybe it was a left-handed thing i've tried to do things with my left hand but it's like watching a monkey with a hand grenade <laughs> it's rough <laughs> i am completely incompetent that's great uh so next thing i use all the time is my command line and for this I, I don't have much to say. I use iTerm, which uses ZHS behind the scenes. I don't know jack about using the command line or customizing it or any of that stuff. I use Westboss's command line power user class uh, however many years ago. I set it up. It looked good enough for me, and I haven't changed it since. The only customizations I have on, on Terminal are a few uh, Git shorthand snippet things where instead of typing git commit i type in gic i don't remember how i set it up i don't know where any of that configuration is i just know it works on my system and i hope it never breaks and that's like all i've got on a uh, command line oh, man. despite using it hours yeah day. i alias everything so my bash profile is huge and um, i actually did the same sort of setup as you have i term with um, zsh z shell and or I guess it's oh my ZSH or something. And Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I I went through it and that was really great. But then something else I was trying to do on the command line wouldn't work. During, you know, my day job I do sort of machine learning types of things. And some of that stuff broke and I freaked out. And like <laughs> 90% of my day job, I use Windows. So I have a, a different laptop. It's beef that has huge processing power, ton of RAM, you know, awesome graphics card, all that sort of stuff. But then occasionally I'll flip over to my Mac because there was something I was trying to do that absolutely would not work on Windows. There was no library for it, whatever. So I was trying to prototype it out on my Mac and I broke that entire environment Oh my gosh, I almost went and cried in the corner. <laughs> so basically what I had to do then is go back to just <laughs> terminal. But depending on how you set up, oh my ZH, oh my Zish, 
however you want to say it, um, your Z shell, um, you can actually break terminal also. So I popped down to a terminal, but it's trying to run ZSH, but all that configuration information isn't there because it's not reading the ZSH config file. And oh my gosh, I was freaking out. So I stick with terminal now and I'm pretty happy with that, but I have, I probably have three dozen aliases and those are all defined in your bash profile and it's just an alias command. But I have um, GAS, which is git add and then a git status. So it's a git add space dot and then git status. So GAS, I have a GP for a push. Um, Oh my gosh, everything. I am so lazy when it comes to typing at the command line. (laughs) If I jump on somebody else's machine, I am screwed because I'm not going to know any of the commands. I'm not going to remember yeah. <laughs> any of them. So I'll have to throw that on a thumb drive and be like, hey, can I drop my bash profile on your sh- machine so I can actually use this thing? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's right. pretty funny. Have you ever been a uh, Vim or Emacs? I'm not a hardcore Vim user, but I will. I don't, I'm guessing Vim is Vi also. Like, is, are those the same thing? I use Vi all the time on command so, yeah. line. Yeah. So okay. a lot of times I'm SSHing into servers and things. And, you know, instead of installing a nicer editor or whatever, yeah, I'll just use Vi. So I know those commands. And, you know, the whole how do you get out of Vi or Vim? I'm like, why is right. this why is this so hard? You just hit escape colon Q. Like what what is so hard about that? But I guess if you don't know that, it you don't know what to do. And so there's there's still a lot of Vi commands that elude me. I always have to look up like colon show number to get line numbers if I'm looking for a specific line in a log file or a config file based hmm. on an error message or something like that. So I, there's still a few things I have to look up, but I am in no way going to sit down and build an app and program it all using Vim. There's no way right. I'm that proficient. <laughs> I'm always amazed at people who can do all that. Yeah. I still can't remember how to get to the end of a freaking line. So I'm always like arrowing over and arrowing back. (laughs) Like I remember top of file, bottom of file, but could I remember beginning or end of line? Nope. Do I always have to look it up? Yep. Do I look it up? Nope. I just (laughs) use the arrow keys. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can quit a file, save a file and get into insert mode. And that, that, that's all. (laughs) Okay. With that. It's enough to, I don't even know. I don't know what I can It's do, enough but... to fix the little typos that you need to fix, right? right That's all yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Oh, I know. I use it to uh, modify commit messages. That's all I use it That's for. it, really? You don't necessarily specifically fire it up if you have to edit something? Nope. If there's any chance I have to do anything of significance, I'm going to open it up in VS cool. Code. Cool. What if you're on a server? Uh, I'm a front-end developer. I don't know what a server Good is. Good answer. I like that. Oh, unfortunately, I can't use that. <laughs> I don't know the last time I logged into a server. I've got some stuff on DigitalOcean, and like, it's still working. So I'm just not gonna. Work wow, I am totally fascinated right now because <laughs> I like SSH into everything. It's ridiculous. Mm. Maybe I need to uh, drop that from my qualifications. Just call myself a front end <laughs> developer. Yeah, if I have to do anything like server related, all I've been doing lately is. Um, using Firebase. And like, that's just, it works into the workflow we've already got on the app I'm building, but yeah, I just haven't found a need to really work on a server for real in quite some cool. time. 
Speaking of other front-end things, another tool I use often, just not proficiently at all, is Figma, and I use that to do you have any image editing, basic image editing. Um, actually, no, I shouldn't even say image editing. It's just like basic icon stuff or creating a mini SVG, basic stuff. I use Figma. It's also a way that I can open up sketch files from a designer I'm working with to kind of look at their designs in more depth. Uh, to kind of get dimensions. So I use Figma quite a lot. I used to use Sketch, but Figma is free, so I switched over to it. It's worked out really, really well. Yeah, I um, I tried Figma for a little bit. I think I had the 30-day eval of Sketch because at the time I was working for a college and I was hoping they would pay for it if I really liked it. I've been using Photoshop since, I don't know, version 5 or something. Like, that is just so in my brain. So i pay for it. I have Photoshop cloud subscription and, okay. um, that just works great and I can get in, I can do what I, I can and, and hop out on windows. I installed, I think it's called Krita and it's a free sort of Photoshop knockoff. And man, my muscle memory for Photoshop is just amazing because <laughs> nothing I try in this Krita program works and I have to go search right. and like hover over the icons because they can't use the same icons as Photoshop because that would be copyright or something. And so you got to right. figure out what their little icons are and they mean and where the stuff is in the menus and then the panel comes up and they have to rename everything. And oh man, it is just so hard, so hard. <laughs> but yeah, Photoshop is, is where I go and I am not a Photoshop guy. I'm not a designer at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm basically tweaking things or resizing, you know, doing that sort of stuff if I need to. Yeah. That's an, it's interesting. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, but I still find a need, you know, a couple times a week to dive into Figma or sketch, whatever it is, despite being completely incompetent and unable to design anything, I still found myself needing it. So it's interesting that we both got kind of that image editor of, of choice for getting those random jobs done yeah totally um looking at development tools so my workflow i've got vs code i've got iterm i'm using react native for my mobile development must have packages that go into any project that i create first off is going to be eslint um i'm a firm believer of like if your code is clean you're less likely to write bugs so i like to have eslint i've got a custom handlebar labs um, eslint config that i've set up over the years that I install on every project that doesn't already have one. And then to go along with ESLint, I always like to use Prettier because it's an opinionated code formatter that goes beyond ESLint. I like that. It keeps code clean and formatted. Uh, it keeps all of us, everyone on the project I'm working on, kind of building to the same standard. So despite not using TypeScript or Flow or some sort of typed JavaScript, Using ESLint and Prettier kind of, I don't want to say gives us some sort of static analysis of our code, but it does help us alleviate the potential of just like silly typo bugs. Going along with that, Code Push is a big thing I like to use for development and just kind of like quick feedback among the internal team who's testing it. It's just, it's faster than building and shipping off to TestFlight. I think we talked about that in a previous episode, but Code Push is something I, I pretty often add into an app early on. If I'm using Expo, Expo's just got that functionality built in, so don't need to worry about it. And then finally, um, this is something I've been pretty diligent about lately, is pretty early on in the project, I get Jest, which is a test runner, 
and then React Native Testing Library installed and set up in the app so that I have a means to easily and efficiently write tests for that app. I, can't, I don't do test-driven development. I don't write as many tests as I probably should, but I like to have the tools set up so that when I break something, fix it, I can at least write a test at that point so that I'm less likely to break it in the future. Yeah, I'm right there with you on the first three, ESLint, Prettier, and CodePush. I have never in my life used Jest or the React Native Testing Library. You have some tutorials. Do you have a course? You have a testing course, right? Yep. Yeah, I've got a, a course that covers React Native Testing Library and yeah. by extension Jest. Yeah, I should really uh, take a look at those and uh, start doing yeah. that as well. I mean, my testing is me clicking through the app, fixing all the bugs, and then uh, <laughs> sending it out to users to test. And I know that's terrible, uh, but that's what I do. But I mean, that that mean, that mean can get you a, a long way. That's like the app I've worked on. That's what they've done for the last four years, and we're just now kind of really getting diligent on writing automated tests. So it, it's a system that yeah, works. Yeah, it does. It might not be ideal in uh, the grand scheme right. of things, but yeah, it works for sure. So for uh, dev tools and packages, um, I use Fastlane a lot. And if you haven't looked into okay. this, you totally should. I'm currently building a course. It's called Fastlane Cheat Codes, uh, fastlanecheatcodes.com. And you can go up and sign up to get uh, a discount whenever that comes out. Shameless plug. Um, but basically what this does is this is an amazing, <laughs> amazing library that helps you with your workflow it will eliminate a lot of the horrible mundane tasks you have to do to get your app ready for even beta testing, uh, but especially for pushing to the app stores. I always have, I use App Icon, which basically will take your artwork. I mean, it won't build your artwork for you, which would be totally awesome, but you do need to get that. And that's where my Photoshop lack of skills comes in. I'll typically grab like the the logo or something for the company or for whatever I'm building and then, you know, resize it. So it's the 1024 or 2048, whatever it needs to be. But basically app icon mm -hmm. will take that and automatically resize and create all of your icon artwork for your app and put them in the right spots. So for example, when you run this, um, you set up these little jobs called lanes. And so if you set up an icon lane, and you run that, it'll take that, it'll do its job, and you open up Xcode and go to the XC Assets screen, all of your icons are going to be there. They're gonna be resized in the right spots, in the right places in the directory, so when you build, you're good. It does the exact same thing for Android as well. And it is amazing, super amazing. Nice. You don't have to sit there in Photoshop, resizing, trying to remember, you know, multiply 36 times three to get whatever icon <laughs> Xcode wants this time around, you know, and do all that math right. in your head and then go resize it and all this other garbage. So app I Fastlane app icon takes care of that. Uh, the next one I use is Match, and I learned this one from Spencer. Actually, I learned about Fastlane from Spencer in one of his courses, but Match is amazing because it will sync <laughs> your provisioning profiles and certificates and handle all of that. So basically you set up a GitHub repo specifically for your app's certificates and profiles. It will encrypt everything in that repo so nobody is gonna grab your certs or anything like that. But it'll negotiate and synchronize everything between the um, provisioning portal and your certificates, pull them all down, put them in the right spots, and manages all of that. 
then when you get ready to build, which is later in this process, um, it'll negotiate all that. Everything will be in the right spots. If you deploy it to your phone, it will handle all that. It's just amazing. Similarly to Match, there's PEM, P-E-M, and that manages your push notification profiles, which also can be kind of a pain in the neck because if you go back and add a push cert, then you need to regenerate all of your provisioning profiles, and then you need to reapply those profiles to wherever you, you know, your devices that you're testing on and whatever. And PEM handles all of that as well in much of the same way. And these are literally command lines that you run and you can script all these out. So you can, if you set it up right, you can, you can type in beta version or whatever you want to call it beta, and it will run through all of this stuff and do all this for you. The next up is snapshot, which is also phenomenal because this will go through and create a plethora of snapshots of your screens and lay them all out in directories and in an HTML format. So if you want to open that up in a browser, you can take a look at all of the screenshots that have been generated in sort of like an album, which is super useful if you need to meet with your client and you want to show them the status of your app. You can just run through this. It'll nab all of your screenshots and in an HTML format, and you can either share that to them or pull it up on your laptop when you're sitting in a meeting with them. Nice. Priceless. But those screenshots also end up in a specific location. So when you use the following package called Jim, Jim builds and packages your app for the stores and pushes it up. Now there's a couple caveats with Android, uh, with Google Play, you actually need to go in and create that initial app setup. Um, but then once that's set up, then every future build, you can use Jim to push up to Android. With iOS, iOS is using a uh, spaceship, they call it. And it's a big, huge API interface that interacts with all of Apple's iTunes Connect, the uh, provisioning portal, all of that stuff is managed through this uh, black box called Spaceship. So Jim basically packages all that up. It takes your certificates, it takes your push notification profiles, your provisioning profiles, your snapshots, your icons, all of that, packs it all up and pushes it up to the App Store and to Android. So basically I just talked to you about Fastlane in about five minutes. This will save you hours, if not days, if not weeks of time <laughs> over the course of your app. So if you have to sit there and package up beta versions every single time and screenshots are changing and depending on how you know legit you want to go with um with all that information maybe you don't want to update your screenshots every single time you push a new version but um, i mean this just saves you so much time i mean when i went through spencer's course i think it's something along the lines of um react native for production or pushing to production or something like that there was this one section that he just went over setting up match to pull down your certs and my life was changed right there. I mean, that single video changed my life and was worth the price of the course, whatever that was at the time. Because everybody knows managing certificates and profiles is the biggest pain in the butt. And this just handles it all for you. Mm -hmm. And there's a really cool feature that's really great. If you happen to get in the weeds with any of this, you can do, um, oh man, now I can't remember it. I wasn't prepared to say talk about this. I think it's like Fastlane Match Nuke or there's a nuke command and that goes through and that guts your portal. So it pulls all of the certificates and everything related to whatever app you're working on. So if, if you happen to screw it up, 
which is actually difficult to do, but it does happen, especially if you go in and start dinking around in the portal yourself. Um, if you use Fastlane properly, you shouldn't need to do anything but <laughs> set up a new app ID in the portal. So basically you're telling the portal, hey, I have this brand new app, log out, you're done. You can do everything else through Fastlane, which is just awesome. If you, again, you don't need to open up Xcode if you're using this okay. properly, you can. And I do to tweak certain things um, that you can't do in Fastlane. But Fastlane is also extensible and there's there are plugins available. All the plugins, it's Ruby based. So if you happen to know Ruby, I guess you could write your own plugins if you wanted to. But there are, I don't know, a hundred or so different things that you can plug in. And it's all open source. And so for a while, um, I recorded the initial video for Fastlane cheat codes. So in the video, I use AppIcon as the example to show how awesome Fastlane is. And at the time, it could only create square icons for Android. And in the last three months or something, someone you know, refactored that and now it does the rounded icons. Mm. Um, so I guess I'm not an Android person. I guess some phones use the rounded, some use the square but this will, this will do both now. So, I mean, the project and the different plugins are continuing to evolve and it's fantastic if you haven't gotten that from my excitedness um, about <laughs> this. It's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to go through that course when you get it yeah. together because, you know, I used to use Fastlane to some extent, but um, I found myself just not really using it anymore purely because, I don't know, I would just get confused by the Ruby and, like, I was basically lazy i'd rather do the work multiple times long <laughs> uh, versus kind of setting things up so I, i'd like to get back into Fastlane, and that's something a lot of people ask questions about is you know setting up ci for your react native app and i think Fastlane is that to some extent so it'll be cool to learn how to use this and use it efficiently and actually kind of understand what's what's going on behind the scenes yeah it's cool you can um you can actually share config files between projects and whatnot. So really, if you set it all up for one project and uh, make a note of the different files, you can pretty much copy them over and use probably 90% of those config options. You just need to change like the, okay. the remote repo for your new project and the project name and you know those sorts of things. But um, there's just a couple project specific settings in there. But um, yeah, it's really, it's really nice, really nice to use. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but along the lines with Spencer, you know, we get artwork in, I say we, it's really just me. And, you know, you do whatever with that. You create your splash screen with uh, whatever photo editor. I usually build iOS first because I'm really kind of an Apple guy. And then I'll go back mm -hmm. and and tweak things for Android. Sometimes that's not the best way to do that. And you really should, I mean, don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, I feel like a real dad <laughs> right now, but you know, you should probably have iOS and Android emulator open at the same time. You know, if you have the, the hot reloading enabled every time, you know, you save the both sort of trigger and, uh, and reload for you. So that's probably the best way to do it. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't do that. I always do iOS first because I do a lot of experimentation and sometimes it's just easier to focus on one one phone at a time for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Do you do both at the same time or do you do it that way? No. So the way I do it is I'll typically break, you know, break things down by feature. 
And then I develop on iOS because I just find it to be a, a faster, more fluid development experience. And also my computer fans don't sound like my computer's about to take off trying to run the Android emulator. So I build for iOS first. And then once I'm kind of like 90% there, open up an Android, make any tweaks I have to. The one caveat I do have to that development workflow, which I do most of the time, is whenever I'm adding a native package, I will do both of those side by side immediately before doing any implementation. Because I've gotten burned on that in the past where I install some React Native maps or something, build it all on iOS, everything works perfect, try to spin it up on Android, I realize I screwed something up, I don't know what, and then I just kind of have to screw around with everything to try and get Android to even run, let alone get the feature to work. So if I'm installing a native package, I do iOS and Android simultaneously. Then if I'm developing a feature, once I've got everything installed, I'll do iOS and then I'll periodically check in with Android as I'm going along. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, one thing I forgot to mention because I'm looking at the notes and whenever I push for beta, so Fastlane has, like I said, it's ex extensible and someone created a plugin called Badge which is really awesome because when you do a beta release, you can actually add a little beta symbol over your app. And that allows them to know that this is a beta version or you can make alpha version. You can make it say whatever you want, really. You can make nice. it say Spencer or John or RNN rocks, <clears throat> um, that sort of thing. So <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Um, I just I just remember that as you were talking, I don't know what triggered my mind yeah. when, when you were talking about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, one final thing, um, just kind of in terms of like hardware, like what are we running in general? I try to keep things pretty lean. So I've got a late 2016 15-inch MacBook Pro. It's my one computer. I run everything off of it. With that, I've got I've got one external monitor. So I've got the, the Retina MacBook Pro monitor, and then I've also got a 27-inch non-Retina Dell screen. It looks nice. It works well for me. Um, and that's what I do all my development on. And then in terms of devices that test it, um, I am a firm believer in an emulator is just not enough to build and test. If you're actually you know, publishing this out in the world, I've gotten burned by just using an emulator for Android in the past. So with that, I have an iPhone 11 I do all my iOS testing on. And then I've got a Google Pixel 3 that I do all the Android testing on. It is, it's quite a difference testing on a device versus the emulator. I know I've caught a lot of issues that I've found using a virtual keyboard on an actual device versus just using my keyboard on a simulator. So I definitely suggest if you're you know, serious about doing mobile development to have a, at least one physical device for each platform that you're building for. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, I ran into an issue where images were not showing up on the device. They worked mm -hmm. in the emulator, but when I deployed it over there, they did not work. Um, I also develop on MacBook Pro. Um, I have a 2018 that was sort of a business expense, so I went crazy. So it's an <laughs> i9. It has th has 32 gig of RAM, um, huge SD drive. Um, and then I just have two generic external monitors that hang off of it. But I have an iPhone 11 as well, and then I don't even know what kind of Android phone I have. It is such garbage. <laughs> You know, which is good because you want, if your app runs on a garbage Android phone, then, you know, it'll run great on the latest and greatest, hopefully. Right. But I, ha I have noticed things are slower on the actual phones. So if you're mm -hmm. doing a whole lot of processing, you want to make sure that that's still, 
efficient on on an actual device yeah that's something that's another really important thing to note is like especially when you get into these macbook pros and you know similar as well my laptop's older but when i bought it i knew i was going to keep it for four plus years so I, i got it fully loaded as well and like they're powerful processors so working on our machine we may have more processing power than we have on the device despite being in development mode so that is another reason to have that physical device in hand but yeah also like you said kind of if you're making a living with your laptop especially using mac os i don't know i find i've never regretted kind of maxing out my computer when i bought it because these things just they last for a long time assuming your keyboard doesn't die on the macbook pro (laughs) so it's just i don't know i've always found it worth it max it out when i buy it and then keep it for five or six years yeah it's definitely worth the investment and uh just a real quick shortcut that i have that i use because you mentioned different emulators and simulators and that sort of thing i always edit my package json file and i add different shortcuts for the different phones that i want to launch so for mm-hmm. example you i have um ios if i just do ios then it runs iPhone 11 by default, and then I can specify iOS 7, iOS X, 5S, 8 Plus, you know, those sorts of things, XR, whatever whatever ones I have actually configured at the time. And that just lets me try them in those different, what am I trying to say? That lets me try them in different form factors, make sure, you know, yeah. my screens work on a smaller actual device. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good idea because like, there are all these different ones, these different screen sizes, especially devices that don't have the notch or like the eight plus, which is a different aspect ratio than other ones. I know that I, I'm not good about testing on those different things. I just assume everyone has the same phone. <laughs> yeah. So if it works for me, it'll work for everyone else until I, I get a bug report. So I, I take the, the lazy. Yeah, I was doing the stupid case. thing back when I was just starting and I was calculating a percentage. So, you know, there's a block on the screen with, the sessions coming up next and I would say, okay, I want that to be like 33% of the screen and I'm doing all this weird stuff. And that looked great on whatever em- simulator emulator I was using. And then I did it on, I think the eights were just coming out and you know, the screen was much larger, you know, and it just looked like garbage. There was so much white space, even though it was still <laughs> a third of the screen, it just looked really bad. So it's definitely important to test, depending on what your app does, test on different simulators and emulators. If you can learn the black art to getting an Android emulator multiples to work correctly. Well, this has been a great episode. We went a little long, but that's okay. Hopefully it was interesting for everybody and they picked up some stuff. We'll have show notes, links in the show notes, obviously. Yeah, be sure, uh, hit us up on Twitter. I think it's at rnnerds. Uh, let John know what the next theme he should use in VS Code and what the next font is he should spend a couple hours <laughs> so that he can uh, do that but yeah thanks so much for everyone joining us on this episode yeah thanks a lot guys we'll talk to you later see ya thank you for listening you can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com <laughs>